We'll read Acts 26, 12 through 23. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king, I saw in the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goods, and I say, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me, and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from the people and from the Gentiles to whom, to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. To this day, I have had the help that comes from God, and so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. Jeff, if you want to come on up, we will pray for you. Mighty and Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for Jeff. We thank you for the Carson family and all the ways that they love you, they shine in this city for your glory. God, we pray this morning that you keep us humble, keep our hearts open to what you will teach us through Jeff. We thank you for his preparation. We thank you for his heart. And most of all, we pray that he just has great joy um, being used today just to teach us and guide us to know you more and share you more. God, we pray that you fill us up and send us out. In Christ's name, amen. Good morning. Uh, once upon a time, right? All good stories are supposed to start like that. Well, once upon a time, there was a dad who had four young kids, and even though he wasn't the best storyteller, his kids loved it when he told them stories. It didn't take long for this dad to run out of good material, and so he created this mythical land named Carslandia. <laughs> Carslandia was ruled by a good and just king and queen. And the king and queen had four children whose names were Prince Mixelot, Princess Aisley, Princess Elsley, and Princess Liesel. And this dad would tell his kids stories about the heroism of the prince and the princesses, how they worked with the king and queen to love and serve the um, people of Carslandia. Tales of great adventure, tales of sacrifice and kindness. And his kids, they loved it. They ate it up. They loved the thought that their lives could somehow be caught up in this big, fantastical story. And even now, though they're older, uh, their faces, at least some of, them, some of their faces, still light up at the mention of the stories of Carcelania. 
The kids have great imaginations. They love to pretend. They love to imagine themselves in a different, more grand reality. But as we get older and grow into adulthood, this, this sense of, of wonder and imagination, it tends to atrophy in us. The demands of everyday life, they squeeze the creativity and the wonder out of us. We, we get so consumed with work and school and laundry and hobbies and keeping the little people in our homes alive that our perspective narrows. We experience hurt and sadness and pain and difficulties in life, and it's hard to see. It's, it's hard to believe that there really is some kind of good, grand design in all of it. But there's good news for us this morning. Because regardless of how clearly we see it in this moment, our lives are part of a bigger story. And it's not make-believe, and you don't have to pretend. It's the truest story in the world. It's the most grand and wonderful story in the world. And I'm so glad we sang that last song this morning. It talks about, you know, where it's like a prayer. Open up my eyes and, my eyes and wonder, because that's been my prayer for us leading up to this morning, that God would lift our eyes to see His story afresh today. That he would give us a renewed sense of wonder and amazement that we are included in his great story in the world and empower us then to believe we have a story worth sharing. And that's where we're going this morning. That we are storytellers who share God's story and our rescue with others. This is week five in our series called Identities and Rhythms. We're going to get back into Matthew's Gospel in just a few weeks. We've been taking some time at the start of a new season, at the start of a new school year, to consider our identity as followers of Jesus and how that plays out in the rhythms of our everyday lives within the community of God's people and in the world. We've seen so far we are learners who listen. We're worshipers who celebrate. We're family. We eat together, share lives. We're servants who give, and this week we are storytellers who share. So, for the rest of our time this morning, we're going to look at that identity and rhythm. That we are storytellers, and so we share. So first, our identity. We are storytellers. Our passage this morning is about one of the best storytellers in the New Testament, Apostle Paul. And in it, we see this identity and rhythm on full display. So, let's, let's get into our passage to start out, I just want to give a little bit of context here. Paul had been warned. You can kind of read the last half of the book of Acts. Paul had been warned by his friends over and over, don't go to Jerusalem. They feared his presence there would lead to even more conflict between he and the Jewish religious leaders and likely lead to Paul's imprisonment or maybe even worse. But Paul was resolved to follow Jesus and make him known even in the face of opposition. Listen to Acts 21, 10-14. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews of Jerusalem will bind the man who owns his belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. And then Paul answered, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I'm ready not only to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, he ceased and said, Let the will of the Lord be done. So Paul, he makes his way to Jerusalem. 
and inevitably gets into an altercation with the religious leaders. They bind him, they drag him out of the temple, and they begin to beat him. And it was causing such a commotion, such a scene in Jerusalem, that the, the Roman authorities got involved, and they came and arrested Paul before he was beaten to death. And they just assumed that he was guilty of some, some great crime, but he continued to protest his innocence. And so this began a period of imprisonment that spanned for Paul several years. And during that time, he had the opportunity to make his defense and tell his story before Roman governors like Felix and Festus. Paul eventually appealed to his Roman citizenship, requesting to make his case before Caesar in Rome. But before he was taken to Rome, Paul got to plead his case before one more governing authority, King Agrippa. And that's the setting for our passage here in Acts 26. So as we consider this identity of storyteller, I want us to ask two questions of this passage. All right? Two questions. First, what story is Paul sharing here? What story is Paul sharing here? Well, simply put, he's staring, sharing the story of his salvation, right? But notice how he starts his story. Look with me earlier in Acts 26. These verses are going to be on the screen. I'm not going to read them all, but you can kind of follow along. In verses 4 through 8, Paul talks about his origin, his identity. From his youth up, he had been trained as a Pharisee. And then in verses 9 through 11, Paul lays out the case for why he was among the least likely candidates for Christianity. He described how he was at odds with Jesus and his followers. He was actively persecuting the saints, imprisoning them, casting a hearty vote for some of them to be put to death. Paul was so zealous in his disdain of the early Christians, he searched them out in the synagogues and would go from city to city to find and detain them. And then in verses 12 through 18, Paul describes his life-changing encounter with the risen Jesus. In the course of traveling to Damascus to search out more followers of Jesus to punish, Jesus appeared to him. Let's read those verses again. This is Acts 26, 12 through 18. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun that shone around me, and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goats, which was just a common saying in that day, referring to the futility of resisting the will of God. And I said here in verse 15, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting. But arise, Stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me, and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles, to whom I am sending you to open their eyes, so that they may turn from darkness to light, and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins, and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Paul doesn't share every detail here about his rescue from his rebellion against God, but he shares enough for us to know God had changed his life. He understood salvation looked like turning from darkness and the power of Satan to light and the power of God. 
And all of this was possible through faith in Jesus, the Messiah. And then he ends his story in verses 19 through, 19 through 23 by telling how his life changed after meeting Jesus, how God restored him from traveling from town to town to persecute follower of Jesus, to going from town to town to spread the hope of new life in Jesus. He walked in obedience to Jesus' commission as a missionary to the Gentiles. And so, in answering that first question, what story is Paul sharing? We can see he was sharing the story of what Jesus had done in his life. But here's the second question. Whose story is Paul sharing? Whose story? Well, he's sharing his own story, yes. But Paul knew his story wasn't the great story in the, in the universe. His was part of a bigger story, part of the greatest story. Paul wasn't only sharing his personal story. He was sharing God's story. See, God is a storytelling God. He's written his story and he's displayed it in the created world for all to see in these four great movements. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. We talk about these here in Chorus regularly. This is the great story of the Bible from beginning to end. Creation. God created the universe and all we see. He created the first humans in his likeness. Totally unique amongst God's creation. That was the basis of their worth and their identity. And as his image bearers, they enjoyed intimate communion with God. They were made to worship and love and obey him. Creation is about origin. And identity. The fall. Though the first humans enjoyed a close relationship with God, they chose to rebel against Him in the garden. And this kind of rebellion is called sin. And it created a separation, a brokenness in relationship between the people and God. And not only did sin spread to all humans from that time forward, including us today, but sin spread throughout the created world. And instead of the good rule and reign of God in the world, all around us, we see the effects of the reign of sin and Satan. The fall was about brokenness in the world and in ourselves. And redemption, right? Thankfully, the fall is not the end of the story. Even after the first humans rebellion, God promised he would rescue his people. Through the pages of the Old Testament, we see God calling a people to himself, showing his covenant love to a people who hadn't earned it or deserved it. God's people were to be unique distinct in the world so they could show the rest of humanity what God is like and how good He is. God established a sacrificial system that allowed His people to substitute the life of an animal in place of their own. And this made it possible for God's people to experience forgiveness for the rebellion against Him and to remain in a close relationship with Him. But that was only a temporary system. And it foreshadowed the day when God would send the great rescuer, the once and for all time sacrificial lamb for his people. His own son sent from heaven to earth in human form. This Jesus did what we could not. He lived a perfect life, always doing what pleased God. He, he demonstrated his power over sin and sickness, over creation and over Satan. He died the death that we deserve, taking our place on the cross. And three days later, he came back, proving that he is who he says he is, and he has the power to do everything he said he would do. Through his perfect life, his death, and resurrection, we can now experience forgiveness of sin and rescue from our slavery to sin and Satan and new life now and forever. Redemption is about rescue and deliverance.
and restoration. Since the fall, the world has experienced the disastrous effects of sin in the world and in human hearts. But sin and brokenness don't have the final word. Jesus showed what his good rule and reign looked like in the world and promised that one day he was going to return to make all things right. When we're rescued from our sins by Jesus, he makes us new, he restores us, and he calls us now to work with him to bring more and more of his good rule and reign to light in the world. Restoration is about hope and transformation. Those are the four great movements of God's story. And as his image bearers, our story reflects his. It follows the same movements. Did you catch it in Paul's story? Right? Creation. Paul started his defense before Agrippa sharing about his origin. From his youth up, he was trained as a Pharisee. That was the identity he was clinging to. Creation is about origin and identity. The fall. Paul tells Agrippa about the brokenness in himself. That he was blinded to the truth about Jesus as Messiah. And that it led him to persecute those who believed in Jesus. The fall is about brokenness in the world and ourselves. Redemption. The risen Jesus met Paul in the midst of his sin. He rescued him on that road to Damascus and he gave him a new purpose in life. Paul put his faith in Christ and experienced forgiveness of sin. Redemption is about rescue and deliverance and restoration. Paul's life is transformed. We see it in this passage. He followed Jesus in obedience as a missionary, taking this message of hope in Jesus to the Gentiles. He, he spent the rest of his days working with Jesus to bring about more and more of his good rule and reign in the world and in human hearts. Paul's story followed the same pattern as God's story showing that his story was ultimately about God and not just himself. And the same is true for us today who have experienced the life of God in this way. When we tell our stories like this, we remind ourselves, we remind others, we show others that our story is part of the great story of God. How incredible is that? God is the great storyteller, the author of life and salvation. He created the universe and all it contains. He wrote the story of our days from the beginning, before we even existed. He saved us as part of his master plan, enveloping us in his great big story. Because of this, we embody a new identity as storytellers. Here's a summary statement of that identity. We are storytellers who proclaim God's story, as well as how he has rescued us to others. We're storytellers. Now, I'm, I totally believe that there are some, some here this morning in our midst who haven't yet trusted in Christ, and we're really glad that you're here with us. And please, hear this good news. Receive this good news this morning. The God of the universe made us in his image. And even in the midst of our rebellion against him, even in the midst of our sin, he didn't just leave us to ourselves. He pursued us. He demonstrated his great love by sending Jesus. And Jesus died on the cross to defeat the curse of sin. And he rose from the grave to defeat the power of death so that you can experience life, real life, in him. So that you can know the intimate love of a perfect father in God. I mean, can, like, can you imagine better news? Could you write a better, more fantastic story than this? 
even in this moment, trust in Christ. Turn from your sin and trust and follow Jesus. The offer of forgiveness and new life is extended to you today. So if you sense God working in you, convicting you, warming your heart toward Him, don't resist. Call out to Him and trust Him. Be saved. We are storytellers. That's our new identity in Christ. But before we move on to the rhythm that flows out of that, I, I want to address two obstacles that can hinder us from really walking in that identity. Two obstacles. The first is, we fail to understand the story of God. If we don't have a good understanding of the story of God as revealed in the Bible, it will be really difficult to live in our identity as storytellers. How can we see our stories in light of his great big story if we don't first know his? Similarly, the, the hurts and the difficulties and the pressures of our lives that sometimes make it difficult to see beyond ourselves. Robert Chong, in his book, Restoration Story, he likens our circumstances to cloud cover. It just it keeps us from seeing ourselves in light of God's big story. God's story, God himself in Christ, is meant to serve as a reference point to help us make sense of the rest of our lives. He, he writes this in that book. Believe it or not, the realities we learn through the story of creation serve to guide and anchor us during the storms of life. It's easy to dismiss the truth that God created us to have loving communion with him when our realities are pressing, painful, and persistent. God's promise of loving communion can seem pointless, especially when our circumstances serve as cloud cover that blinds us from seeing the bigger reality of God's story. Amid our questions and confusion, knowing God can be an afterthought. The storytellers were meant to share God's story and how he rescued us with others. We're going to flesh that out even more here shortly, but if you aren't rooted and grounded in his story, you're going to struggle to make sense of your story. And if you struggle to make sense of your story, you're going to struggle to share it. So if you need help knowing and understanding the story of God, let me just quickly suggest three resources, all right? First, the Bible. You'll never truly understand the story of God apart from the Bible. And so, Christian, are you spending time with God in it? How many times have you read the Word of God in its entirety in your life? Are you giving yourself to it? We won't get very far in our relationship with God if we don't engage His story in His written Word. Second, the second resource is the family of God. You need to be around brothers and sisters in Christ who know and talk about God's story and how it impacts their lives. If you're not yet a part of a missional community, I encourage you, check some out and get plugged into one. We need each other. We need the help of the family of God to truly know God's story and make sense of our own. And third, I've mentioned this book, but if you haven't yet read it, you should read Restoration Story by Robert Chong or revisit it if you have. So the first obstacle is we sometimes fail to know God's story. The second obstacle to really walking in our identity as storytellers is we struggle to believe we have a story worth telling. I struggled with this for a long time. And I'm sure like, it's still an obstacle for me in ways that I, I, I don't readily recognize. 
And I'm guessing many of you have wrestled with this as well at some point in your life. I mean, when you compare your story with someone else's story, and yours seems kind of boring, just kind of vanilla, you know, when your life before Jesus it lacks some of the dramatic elements like persecuting Christians or, you know, casting your vote to have them killed or, you know, some form of loose living or addiction to drugs or alcohol or fill in the blank, right? When I think about my story in that light, my story may not seem very powerful or very worth sharing. But hear this. This was so helpful to me when I was in college and I heard my pastor make this distinction. Salvation is not about turning a bad person into a good person. It's about making a dead person alive. Let me say it again for the people in the back. <laughs> Jesus didn't come to make bad people good people. He came to make dead people alive. Your story may be different from Paul's in scope and in calling, but it's the same at the root. Your story may not seem as radical as someone else's, but if you were dead and now you are alive, you have a powerful story. Consider this. If the quote-unquote radical stories that you know, we have in our minds when we think about like those really powerful gospel stories... If the radical story was the only one that was really worth sharing in the world, and the only one that was really truly effective, wouldn't God ordain it that all of us have that same type of story? Wouldn't all our stories be the same then? But he hasn't. And our stories are all different. You are a storyteller, Christian. You have been rescued from being dead in sin to now being alive in Christ. You have a story we're telling. And here's the deal. God intends His church to be as diverse as the world around it. But to reach a diverse group of people to fulfill the global mission of Christ, it's going to take all the people of God sharing their diverse stories. Your story matters. It's significant to you, to those around you, to God, and to the mission of God Okay, so up to this point, we've been talking about our identity as followers of Jesus. We are storytellers. We've been caught up in God's great story in the world, and now we're moving, we're, we're going to move from our identity to our rhythm. So this is our second main point. Our rhythm is that we share. It's, it's just the natural outpouring of our identity. And we'll tell stories. Storytellers tell stories, right? So I want to ask three questions that will help us understand that rhythm of sharing. We've already kind of addressed the why. Like, why, why wouldn't we share? Well, it's because our identity is storytellers, right? So we've already done the why. But three other questions. Okay, what do we share? With whom do we share? And when do we share? All right, so first, what do we share? If you grew up in the church or you've been around church for a while, there's a good chance that you've been through some kind of evangelism training. Training where you learn some tool or method for presenting the gospel. Maybe it was, you know, you've been around for a long time. Uh, four spiritual laws, or the Romans Road, or the Bridge Illustration, or more recently, Three Circles. Um, there are some pretty bad gospel presentations out there, tools out there, and there really are some that are good. 
And I do think that knowing, knowing a good illustration, having some way to succinctly like, share, you're sitting across the table from someone, to be able to succinctly share uh, God's message of salvation and good news, I think it's helpful to have that kind of a tool in your sharing toolbox. But the place we should start in sharing is this. As God's storytellers, we share God's story and the story of our own rescue, right? There's this fantastic resource in the back of Soma's DNA group guide. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, ask your MC leader for it, and they can send it to you, all right? If you're not an MC yet, you should check out an MC. Have I said that? Um, well, you can come ask me. But it's an appendix that helps you learn how to tell your story with Jesus as the hero. It's not a gospel presentation method to learn. It's a resource that helps you think through your story and how it intersects with the, the four big movements of God's great story, right? Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. It's been super helpful to me in the past as I've taken time to think through it. And even as I've worked on preparing this sermon, you should check it out. And again, you know, I'll plug Robert Chong's book, Restoration Story. It works kind of through those same four big elements. When we have the opportunity to share our whole story, those are the elements that we should include. I once heard someone say that your story is a roadmap for someone to know how to trust and follow Jesus. Your story is like a roadmap for someone to know how to know, trust and follow Jesus. So if you haven't taken the time to work through your own story in this way, that's your homework. Like, when you're in the middle of a conversation with a not-yet-follower of Jesus, you don't have time to think through your story deeply in that way. So you need to do that now so that you're ready to share. I'm not saying that the Holy Spirit can't or won't overcome your lack of preparation, but don't make that an excuse for not doing the work now to be able to tell your story then, to be able to tell it well. Um, one more thing in answering the what to share question. If you're like regularly, actively telling your story throughout the course of just everyday life, there are going to be a lot of times when you don't get to share your whole story. And that's okay. It's not a failed attempt at sharing if you don't make it through the complete creation, fall, restoration, or redemption, restoration story. Sometimes Time or circumstance just won't allow it, right? Sometimes the person will cut you off before you finish. It's okay. Trust the Holy Spirit. Pray that you'll have the opportunity to pick that back up in a, in a conversation later on. But be ready to share something, right? Be conversant enough in God's story and yours that even if you only have a minute or two or three to share, the other person is going to leave that encounter knowing truth about Jesus. One of the encouragements I take from our passage this morning is that even Paul didn't say everything that there is to say about God in this gospel and his defense before Agrippa. I mean, Paul mentions, he kind of makes a summary statement in verse 23 of chapter 26 in Acts. It'll be on the screen. It says that the Christ must suffer and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. You know what the Apostle Paul left out in his whole as, as it's recorded in his whole defense before Agrippa, like his sharing his story. If we want to get really picky, Paul didn't specifically mention the cross. 
Right? It's pretty important. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He mentioned suffering. But he didn't mention the cross. But would we say, would we say that Paul failed at sharing his story? No. Right? If you can't say everything, at least be ready to say something true. So that's the what. What do we share? Second, with whom do we share? Well, basically anyone, right? Friends, family, neighbors, coworkers, your barista, the parents of your kids, friends at school, anyone is a possibility. And we need to be sharing the story of God and our rescue, not only with those who are far from God, but also with our brothers and sisters in Christ, right? If we're not in the habit of talking about God with our brothers and sisters in Christ, it's going to be that much more difficult to talk about God with those who are far from Him. Regularly sharing with our brothers and sisters in Christ about what God has done and is doing in our lives is great practice for sharing with those who don't yet believe. So, in your missional communities, your DNA groups, in the foyer after the gathering, around your dinner table, get in the habit of sharing about God's work in the world and in you. Three, when do we share? Well, it's kind of like the with whom do we share. When do we share? Basically, anytime, right? Anytime is a possibility. Both whenever you're given just a wide open door and whenever the Holy Spirit empowers you to make the opportunity. 1 Peter 3.15 is, is probably a familiar verse to a lot of you. It says, But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Right. Now I think we can read that verse and think, alright, I'm just going to sit around and wait until someone directly asks me about my hope in Jesus. And if they don't ask, I won't bring it up either. But Christian, sharing your story is a both and of waiting for an opportunity and taking initiative. Many of you will know that I used to work in campus ministry, and the last year and a half has been a transition for me in a lot of ways, but one of the big ways is I don't get paid to tell people about Jesus anymore, right? So now when I've been building a relationship with a coworker for the last year and a half, and he still he doesn't hardly ask me any questions about myself, and he hasn't asked me about my faith, I'm not off the hook as a storyteller. Empowered and led by the Holy Spirit, I can make it an issue in the conversation. Live in such a way that people ask questions about your life, about the hope that you have. Absolutely. But also, live in such a way that you learn to rely on the Spirit of God to lead you in real time to bring God into the conversation. I want to close by offering four points of application related to walking in our identity as storytellers. Four points of application to connect God's story in you with another person. And here they are. Pray, listen, be aware, and trust God in share. So first, pray. Pray for people by name. If all the people that you are currently praying for would truly come to know God and receive His forgiveness and new life, 
Who would that be and how many? I remember the first time I heard that question, it, like, it cut like a knife. Who are you praying for that they would come to know Jesus and that you would have the opportunity to share with them? So pray for people by name. Pray for opportunities. I will sometimes kind of like go through a prayer much like this, um, specifically about opportunities. You know, God, today would you give me eyes to see people the way that you see them? God, give me opportunities to share today. Help me to see those opportunities when they come, and give me courage to take them when they do, and the words to say, and help me to trust you to produce the fruit according to your will. It's kind of crazy how this works, but I find that like, the more intently I'm praying for opportunities to share, the more opportunities I have to share. Two, listen. Listen for other people to share their stories or parts of their stories with you. Why? So, you, so you'll know how best to connect God's story to theirs. Listening is it's, it's so important. Pay attention to what's going on in the lives of those around you. God often uses the circumstances and difficulties in someone's life to soften their hearts toward Him. So listen for when your neighbor or your coworker shares about a struggle they're having. Take that as God's cue to show care for them, and then look for opportunities to share about His love with them in conversation. Three, be aware. Remember, our stories as Christians are powerful and significant because we've been made alive in Christ. We were dead, and He's made us alive. But our gospel story, it's not only about how God brought us from dead in our sins to alive in Christ. It's also about how God is working that out in our lives right now. Too often we talk about our story only in the past tense. Consider this. If you came up to, the, came up to me after the gathering and said, Jeff, tell me about your marriage. And I treated it like we often treat telling our gospel story. It might sound something like, well, uh, yeah, uh, Angela and I, you know, we got to know each other while we were in college. Um, I thought she was incredible. Uh, I couldn't imagine anyone better. It took her a little longer to see that I was that great as well. <laughs> but we started dating halfway through uh, my senior year in college. Love for one another grew. We were engaged that next summer, and we got married that next fall. And then you might respond with something like, oh, that's great, Jeff. I asked you to tell me about your marriage, though. And I would respond with, uh, I did. We got married. <laughs> I did. I, I, got, I got saved. Way back then. Does that have anything to do with your life now? Right? I better have more to say about our relationship after almost 18 years of marriage than, yeah, we got married. But that's how we treat our gospel story if we're not aware of what God is up to right now in our lives. So if that's not clear to you, and like I legitimately, I struggle with this sometimes. Like when pe people come up and ask me, hey Jeff, how are you doing? I think I'm okay, I don't know. It's not always as self-aware as I could or should be. And so if that's you, you need to do some reflection. 
What is God up to in your life right now? What, is, what, what comfort is God bringing you through his gospel right now? How is God sustaining you in this season? What are you learning and hearing from him in his word? How is he challenging you? In what ways are you struggling to believe God and his promises right now? Being able to articulate that current activity of God is a huge part of us being able to being ready to share with others. So be aware. And last, four, trust God and share. Psalm 138, verse 3 has been a great encouragement to me over the years, specifically as I've engaged in sharing my story with others. Listen to what it says. On the day I called, you answered me. My strength of soul, you increased. I love that. The Holy Spirit can empower you in real time interactions and conversations. Call out to Him. Lean, learn to lean on Him in real time. Trust God. Open your mouth and share. Chorus, what might happen in this church family if we walked in that identity together as storytellers? What might happen in this community if we walked together in that identity as storytellers? Who might God send? And what might happen in the world if we walked together as his storytellers? May God make it more and more. So, let's pray. God, you're so good. We're, we're humbled that you include us in your story. That even before we existed, you had written our days. We're humbled that you didn't just leave us to ourselves, but you pursued us in Christ. Forgive us, Father, for not really believing and knowing your story. Forgive us for believing that our story isn't powerful or worth sharing. So God, bring us in your kindness to repentance. Help us to walk in our identities, your storytellers. Give us opportunities, God, today, this week. Give us opportunities to share. And when those opportunities come, Father, give us the courage to take them. Give us the words to say. God, do your work in and through us as your storytellers here in this community and in the world. We love you, we need you, we pray in Jesus' name.